fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. Trust and rest in Christ. Turn to Romans chapter 11. We're going to study through the book of Romans. If you are new to Grace Church, that's our habit to study through books of the Bible. Um, We do sometimes interrupt that on uh, special occasions, sometimes around Christmas or Easter or other things. We'll have a short interruption, but normally we are working through books of the Bible, both New Testament and Old. And um, we have been in the book of Romans uh, since time began. Um, (laughs) No. We take our time, we study through the Word, some passages we move faster than others, but we are in chapter 11. I want to read from verses 25 to 32 of chapter 11. Lest you be wise in your own sight, speaking to the Gentiles, non-Jews. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election... They are beloved for the sake of their forefathers, for the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but have now received mercy because of their disobedience. So they, too, have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. Thus far the reading of God's Word. Let's pray. Lord, this is Your Word. We are dependent upon Your Holy Spirit to take Your Word and illumine it and apply it for You to be our teacher, for You to work in our hearts, to bring us to faith, to plant gospel seeds, to grow us in grace. You know the needs intimately of each individual heart. So help me to preach Your Word. In the power of the Spirit. Help us to hear it with dedication in the power of the Spirit as the Word of God. Take your Word and accomplish your purpose. Build your church. We know that it never, ever returns to you void. So we praise you. We submit ourselves to it. We lay before you and trust you and pray that you would do a mighty work as your Word goes forth. We trust you for it and ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. The same guy that wrote the book of Romans telling us that and giving us this snapshot that we've been seeing unfold in the book of Romans. 
Who is Christ? Why did he come? Well, he came, we saw first in the early part of the book, because Jew and Gentile, all people are sinners who can't save themselves and need a savior. So he is the savior who has come and accomplished righteousness on our behalf and propitiation. He's the atonement for our sin. He died for our sins that we might trust in him and have grace and have Favor and have acceptance, be justified by faith alone and sanctified as a work of God's grace. We've seen that up six through eight. And we've been in a section recently where Paul has expressed his burden for his Jewish brothers and sisters. And he's cried out to God for their salvation. He's he's had a burden for them that he longs to see fulfilled the, the Jewish people coming in great numbers to Christ, and we saw last time that those will, prayers will be answered. So a lot of what we've already said, I point you back to that. But we've seen in chapter 9 through 11 an explanation of why only a minority of Jews believe in their own Messiah. Why is it that only a remnant will be saved? Well, the Jewish unbelief is one reason. They have failed to have proper expectations, so they have failed to trust in their own Messiah. They've hardened their hearts to the gospel, and therefore God has judged them with hardness. He's got a remnant saved by grace. You can see that in early in chapter 11. But the rest were hardened. But even that hardening serves a purpose, because God's judgment on the Jewish people has opened the door for the gospel to the Gentiles. And as we've seen in previous sermons, the end result of that is there will be a people around the throne of God from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language, worshiping His name. But look at that in verse 1 Timothy 1.15. Christ Jesus came into the world to save righteous people. So when I clean up my act and get everything straightened out, then, then He'll accept me. No. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, Jews who are sinners, Gentiles who are sinners, to save Adam. Adam was a sinner. To save Abraham. Abraham was a sinner. David was a sinner. Peter was a sinner. John was a sinner. Paul was a sinner. Jeff was a sinner. Mike was a sinner. Be careful using that word was, right? Todd... Is a sinner. We all still are on the way. We're growing in grace. Jesus came to save a people from the Jews and the Gentiles. And I'm thankful for that because I'm not a Jew. Deserve to be excluded. <clears throat> but I'm not excluded. He came to save a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. He came to save sinners. So you and I have great hope. We don't have to fix it. We don't have to be perfect. Because He has. He receives sinners who are in humility will look to Him for salvation. So today, we are sort of summarizing <clears throat> what Paul has taught in chapters 9 through 11. So I'm going to walk back through all of that and that's going to take us about three or four hours and we'll be here for a while. No. I'm going to point you back to all that. And if you didn't hear those sermons, you, you go listen to them. But we see in summary form here in this concluding section what he has been communicating 
in chapters 9 through 11. He's summarizing and wrapping up his argument. And so today we're going to look at verses 28 to 32, and I entitled it Mercy for the Disobedient. Mercy for the Disobedient. Here's the main point to take away. God is faithful to His promises to be merciful to a disobedient people from both the Jews and the Gentiles. First, God is faithful to His promises. Look in verses 28 and 29. As regards the gospel, we have to remember, as regards the gospel, they, who are they? Well, that's Israel. We just got through talking about them in, in 25 and 26 and 27. That, that Israel, a partial hardening has come upon Israel uh, until the fullness of the Gentiles come. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. There's coming a great font. There's great opening, a great revival among the Jews. But right now, in verse 28, he's telling the Gentiles. Remember, Paul's still talking to the Gentiles and working humility in them. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. The Jews, for the most part, in the current present situation, Paul's day and even down to ours, are enemies of God. They're enemies of the gospel. They have turned their back on their own Messiah. And therefore, they are enemies. And we've seen already how God has used that to turn to the Gentiles and bring the gospel to the Gentiles. But presently, the Gentiles have benefited from the Jewish unbelief. He says, they are enemies for your sake. I mean, think about the book of Acts. Over and over and over, Paul would go into a city. He would go first to the synagogue where the Jews were, and he would proclaim the gospel to them. To the Jew first and then to the Gentile. And as they would reject it, then he would go out to the Gentiles with the gospel. And the Jews would get mad and get stirred up and persecute them and run them out of town. And so they would go to another town and start to preach the gospel and have success. And Jews would even come from those previous towns to those towns to stir up trouble. The Jews were fighting against their own God in whom they claim to trust. And so Paul is reviewing and reminding that as regards the gospel, the Jews at present state, for the most part, except for that remnant chosen by grace, they are enemies for your sake. They're the reason the God brought the gospel to you. And that was all according to God's plan. The mystery, the mystery. God's sovereignty and providence. Pointing you back. I was tempted to preach that stuff I've already preached. But this is equivalent to a but God here. You see that in Ephesians 2 and in here. He says, he says <clears throat> they're enemies for your sake, but... Look at this. As regards election, giving us the hint that we've interpreted Israel rightly, the elect among Israel. But as regard election... They are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. Israel, as a people group, are still beloved for the sake of the forefathers. God will keep all the promises He made to the forefathers. They are beloved 
for the sake of their forefathers. And it refers to the electing work of God. This is a corporate election I'm speaking of now where he chose Israel to be his people. Doesn't mean he saved every single individual, but as a people, they were his (coughs) chosen people. God chose their forefathers and their seed to be his people. He made promises to them that he is working out or fulfilling. I mean, if you remember, we studied through the olive tree. The Gentiles are grafted into that Jewish salvation. It's not something new. God will keep his promises to the forefathers. He will keep his promises to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel. And we'll see that. I mean, Genesis 12, 2 to 3, just a couple of examples. But, you know, when God called Abraham out, he was Abram at that point before his name was changed. And when he was called out, um, God says this in Genesis chapter 12. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse. And look at this. Even Paul brings this out in Galatians. In you, only the Jews will be blessed. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So even way back then, you can see that somehow in God's providence, the Gentiles were going to be included in these promises. Isaiah 41, 8 to 10. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I've chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth, And called from its farthest corners, saying to you, You are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. And be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. All the promises God made to the forefathers, He will keep and He will bring to pass. But it, just like in our own lives... We ever, we hardly ever can imagine how that exactly is going to be worked out. God doesn't give us a crystal ball for a reason. It would scare us to death if He did. As regards election, they are beloved for the sake of of the forefathers. This never meant every individual Jew would be saved. We've already seen the majority is hardened. Only the there's a remnant chosen by grace. And even if you look back in history in the Old Testament, you'll see those wandering in the wilderness and most of whom perished because of unbelief. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. It's a commitment to save and prosper prosper Israel corporately through the promises that were made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob on down the line, him and him fulfilling them. Look at verse 29. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. He has not, and he will not, and he will never go back on his promises. I mean, that's why we read in chapter 9, look in in verses 4 and 5. They are the Israelites, and to them belong the adoption. As a people, the glory, 
And the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship and the promises to him, to them belong the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Notice it does not say to them, used to belong or belonged. It says to them, belong. God has not gone back on his promises and his intention to call and build and bless Israel all the way into the new heavens and the new earth. The Messiah and his salvation were promised to Israel and come from Israel. It's a gracious salvation in which God is fulfilling all of his promises to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, to Abraham and his seed. If you go read Galatians, you'll see that that seed was Christ and all in him. So Paul is saying, he's just continuing to hit the Gentiles with, don't you be conceited. It's not because you're good or not because you're better than the Jews. This is God working out his grace to take his salvation to the ends of the earth and save a people from every tribe, tongue and nation who by his grace will trust in his son. They are beloved because of their forefathers and God's gifts and callings. Is, he's not going to go back on his promises. We really need to know that every day of our lives. That God is faithful to his promises. He keeps them. So God is a faithful God. He's faithful to his promises. Well, in application of those promises, we see that God, number two, is merciful to the disobedient. Verses 30 to 32 summarize his argument in the olive tree. From, from verses 11 to 29. So I'll point you back to the sermons on that. But look at verse 30. For just as, just as you Gentiles, I'm adding that word, just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience. That's what we talked about in, in chapter 11, that because of the, the Jews' Unwillingness to believe for the most part, those branches are broken off and Gentile branches are grafted in through faith. I want you back. Just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but have now received mercy because of their disobedience. So they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you. Remember, Paul says that God is going to use the mercy shown to the Gentiles to make the Jews jealous before that great outpouring in the end. So that they have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now. And the now, that now just means it's ready. It can happen. They'll receive mercy. Gentiles grafted in. God using their faith to make Israel jealous. And when the fullness, remember verse 25, when the fullness of Gentiles come in, then the font. That font is open to Israel. God has consigned. Look at verse 32. We already saw this in chapter 3, though. And, and when it means, this means, it doesn't mean he made them all sinners. He's, by his word, he's shown them all to be sinners in chapter 3. Jew and Gentile, lost, needing a Savior. None seek God. None are righteous. No, not one. All need to be humbled by the law so that they turn and trust in Jesus as their Savior. God has consigned all to disobedience that He might have mercy on all. 
meaning that he might have mercy not just on the Jews, but on the Jews and the Gentiles. Not talking about universalism here and saving every person. That all there is speaking of encompassing Jew and Gentile. To the Jew, that's the world. Jew and Gentile. That's the world. So he sums up. You can see there, he's just reminding them and summing up. He's, he's, he's told them what he was going to tell them. He's told them, and now he's telling them what he's told them. It's a good sermon method. This is what I've shown you. This is what I have shown you. But I want to focus on just something at the end of this passage. I point you back to the rest of the sermons in 9 through 11 if you haven't been with us. But I want you to notice something in verses 30 to 32. Look in your Bible at verses 30 to 32. What word do you see repeated over and over? Disobedient. Disobedience. Disobedient. Disobedience. Four times in those few verses. I put, if you mark in your Bible, put, mark it somehow and it'll stick out to you. Right? Disobedient, disobedience, disobedient, disobedience. What is the point here in the context of the whole passage? God has mercy on the disobedient. You see why I quoted that verse up front? Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is another way of saying sinner. Disobedient. What happened to Adam and Eve in the garden? They were disobedient, weren't they? Sin is disobedience. Either we don't do what we should do or we do what we shouldn't do. And that all starts in the heart. Disobedience is the perennial problem of the human race. From the garden till now, what separates people from God? Disobedience. Your sin separates you from God, the Word says. Let me ask you this question. I want you to think of your own life. And we're not just talking about sinners over somewhere else, right? We are talking about sinners. But we're talking about our life. Where does disobedience come from? What is the root of it? What is the root of disobedience? Look at look in Hebrews. It'll tell us. Hebrews three eighteen to nineteen. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? So that generation that was in the wilderness, he's saying he's using them as an example. Who who will not go into the promised land? Symbol, symbolizing the. The eternal rest, we, we're not studying Hebrews today, but that's what we're talking about. To whom did he swear that they would not enter, enter his rest? Now, watch, there's a parallelism here. But to those who were disobedient. So, now watch this conclusion. So, we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Unbelief is the, the fount of disobedience. Failure to trust God and believe God results in disobedience, which is sin, which should be judged with condemnation. We're saying that God is merciful in Christ to the disobedient, those who have faith in Him. But all disobedience flows out of unbelief. It's convicting, isn't it? It better be. It should be. I mean, outside of Christ, if you're not trusting in Christ this morning, you live a life of disobedience. Self-centered disobedient to God and His commandments. We all have broken His commandments in thought, word, and deed. But it's flowing out of unbelief. 
Unbelief is manifest in disobedience. Disobedience to His law and disobedience to His gospel. We are born disobeying God. Following our our father Adam. We are born not trusting God. Not loving God. Therefore, not obeying God. John says, this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and we see it as our joy. Or His commandments are not burdensome to us. But man, we come out of the womb being constricted and burdened by His commandments. Seeing them as a killjoy. A buzz killer. However you want to say that. I know I'm dating myself. but Is there an answer for this? Of course there's an answer. Praise God, He's merciful to the disobedient. Those who haven't come to faith, who, 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 who come to faith, He's merciful, yes, in, in, in our coming to faith, but He's merciful to us who know Him as we grow in grace. Sanctification is a growth in grace and therefore a growth in joy, joyful obedience. This, see, only this situation of disobedience, there's only one thing that can address it. And it's not you cleaning up your act. You can't. You just have to admit that. Be humble enough to say, I can't fix this. Have mercy on me, a sinner. See, the gospel is the answer to unbelief, be it in the unbeliever or the believer. We never graduate beyond the gospel. What is the gospel? Be good, do good, let your good works outweigh your bad works and you'll be okay. Is that the gospel? How about love? All we need is love. John Lennon. So just love everybody and you'll be alright. No, because love is what? Joyful obedience to His commandments. So we have to know the law. We have to see that we've fallen short of His glory. We've not kept Him as our only God. We have, we have used His name in vain. We have lied and cheated and stolen and looked on another person with lust. We've broken His law. We deserve condemnation. That's why Jesus came. If we could save ourselves, He could have stayed in heaven. The Son of God wouldn't have to come to save us. But Christ came. That's what Paul said in in the first chapter of Romans, that it's the gospel that's the power of God for salvation. Christ, what is the gospel? Christ lived for us. He fulfilled all righteousness. He perfectly kept the law of God. And then He died to take the guilt and penalty of His people's sins. When He was on that cross dying, the God-man was on the cross, drinking dry that cup of wrath to His people so that they could be forgiven and accounted righteous and reconciled to God. Christ died. That's what it means when it says... Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, all predicted in the Old Testament. He was buried and He was raised the third day, according to the Scriptures. And He appeared to the apostles and to over 500 people at once, showing Himself to be alive. He was raised for our justification. He's ascended. He's reigning and He's coming again. Someday. God loved the world in this way that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him, trusts in Him, looks to Him for salvation, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. See, that's the Gospel. The Gospel is Christ and it's what He has done for us. And then the called for response. 
Since Christ has lived for me and died for me, since he has paid the penalty for my sins and sacrificed himself for me, what is my response to be? That's what we call conversion. Conversion is faith and repentance. And I ordered it that way because even our repentance is a fruit of faith. Conversion is faith and repentance. Conversion, God calls on us because He sacrificed His Son for us, calls on us to turn from unbelief and to trust in Christ and grow in joyful obedience to God, therefore. Justification, we're forgiven for all of our sins and accounted as righteous for the righteousness of Christ that's credited to us. And God also at that point begins to sanctify us, which is his work of grace, where he's he has renewed us and enabled us to say more and more to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. In other words, as we come to faith in Jesus, we're repenting of our unbelief. And disobedience. We're grieved over that so that we turn and trust in Him for salvation. And when that happens, we get a new heart that now loves Him and loves His Word and wants to live for Him and grieves over sin and wants to be free from it. So we grow in joyful obedience to God. And when we're glorified, the work will be finished. We'll always obey Him out of love for Him in thought, word, and deed. We're not there yet. So God is merciful to the disobedient that come to faith and the ones that are growing in grace. Faith grafts us into the olive tree. And being grafted into the olive tree of God's grace, we begin to bear His fruit. I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me and you will bear much fruit. What good is a grapevine that doesn't bear grapes? But when it's healthily connected to the vine, what happens? It bears fruit. And the fruit is joyful obedience out of, to God out of love for Him. And see, Paul is setting the stage even now to, to applying the gospel. When we get over to chapter 12, he's going to begin to apply the gospel and show us the difference it should make in our lives. And he's, he's showing us, he's giving us that hint that there's mercy for the disobedience, that we have been consigned, that he might have mercy. And yes, he receives us as we are when we come to faith in Christ, but he doesn't leave us there. He begins at that point conforming us into the image of His Son. We began talking about this in, in, in Romans chapter 1, verse 5, where He's introducing the, the gospel that He preaches. He says in verse 5, through whom, that's Jesus. He's talking about the Son, Jesus. Through whom, look, He says, we have received grace and apostleship. What's the point of your apostleship, Paul? Watch it. To bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among the nations. To bring about the obedience that flows from true faith. Because true faith connects us to the vine. True faith connects us to Jesus. Such that we are justified on the basis of Him. His life, death, burial, and resurrection. And we are sanctified in that same grace as God works that salvation in us. To make us like His Son. But don't, don't miss the point. When God saves a person, He turns them from disobedience to obedience. Characteristically, our lives will be now one, ones of growing, not just obedience, joyful obedience. I told you all before about the, 
Cindy was keeping this little boy, and she was trying to get him to eat his food. And he finally said, yes, ma'am, but I am very angry. And he ate his food. But, boy, that wasn't joyful obedience. That was, that was grudging obedience. No, the gospel puts love in our hearts for Christ. It gives us new hearts that love him. That's why he said, if you love me, you'll always seek your own way. He said, if you love me, you'll follow your heart. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That's how we test our love for him. God works joyful obedience and growing in it. Don't, don't anybody go out of here and say, Jeff said, when you come to faith, you'll be perfect. That's not what I said. But see, you'll be changed. Your appetites will be changed. Your desires will be changed. You will now grieve over sin and love righteousness and seek to walk in that if you've been truly, truly converted. See, this is why the Bible says that those who are characterized by disobedience do not know Christ. And that those who know Christ will be growing in joyful obedience. And listen, one of the things we do when we look back on the gospel is we remember the gospel and we remember Christ and we remember that he has sacrificed himself for us and he calls on us then to lay our lives down for him. We now belong to him. And we remember that he, he promises to give those he saves a new heart that now loves his word loves His commandments and loves Him and grieves over sin. I'm just simply asking you, do you have that heart? Do you grieve over your sin? Do you love His Word and His ways, His commandments? Do you wish you were more like them? David, go read Psalm 119. That's the heart we should have. Oh, how I love your commandments. They're my meditation all the day. We don't keep His commandments to be saved. We keep them out of love and gratitude because we are. But so many people fill out so many church roles that have never been changed. They've made a profession of faith. They've shaken the preacher's hand. They might have been dipped in water, but their lives never changed. Their hearts are still after the world and after the flesh. And I don't know if that's any of you. But read First John if you even wonder about it. And ask God to apply it to your life. But let me, isn't as a Christian, as one who loves and follows Jesus, where in your life are you not trusting God? It's there. Because it's manifest in disobedience to His commandments in that area. Where am I not trusting God? Where are you not trusting God? Let your life show you. Grieve over it. Take it to His throne of grace. That's what it is for His children. And find mercy and grace to help in your time of need to be changed. To trust Him. Some of us are struggling to trust Him. Trust Him with your joys. Trust Him with your sorrows and pains. Trust Him. Look to His cross. And trust Him. So be encouraged. Look back at our text. And look at the context of it. You'll see this over and over too. Mercy, mercy, mercy for the disobedient. If you don't know Jesus, I implore you to come to Him today. You're not granted another day. Right? I mean, painful reminders of that this week. The people in that sub. 
But in Africa, a school of Christian children massacred by Islamists with machetes. 42 people killed because of the world's hatred for the gospel. Don't postpone. Be ready. Turn and trust in Christ today. And if you are His, think about these things. Where is my life showing me that I don't trust Him? And believe that His mercy is available. He is merciful to the disobedient who trust in His Son. Are you trusting in His Son? And do you have the fruit of a new heart? That's what God is working in the Jews That's what He is working in the Gentiles. And that's the work He will finish so that one day we'll all be in the new heavens and the new earth with Him. A few quick points of application. Number one, know His promises. He'll never break any of His promises. He will always keep His promises. Warning. Every promise in the Bible is not an individual promise to you. I hear people doing silly things when COVID came out, when no plague will come into my house. Taking those promises to to God's corporate people. How about this one? No weapon formed against me will prosper. Well, look at that orphanage in Africa. Children who trusted Him. Do you think that doesn't mean that they might cut your head off for following Jesus? That's not what it's talking about. None of the evil one's weapons will stop the church. And Christ's mission in and through the church. But you might be slaughtered for Jesus. And He'll give you the faith to face that one day if you have to. Whatever. You might die in a car wreck. Somebody might rob and shoot you. I know good people who love Jesus. Who the dad was broken in on and killed and the trailer was burned up. Godly Christian man. That happened to him. And that wasn't because he didn't have faith. In this world, you will have trouble. So when you're interpreting His promises, be sure you're interpreting them in in context and in the larger context of Scripture that you're sure that this is a promise to not just to the church, but you as an individual. That you're not just blabbing and grabbing. Name and claim it. That's blabbing and grabbing. You understand. You can pull stuff out of context and make the Bible say anything you want it to. But, He keeps every single one of His promises. Rest in His promises. He will finish the good work in you that He has begun. He will save you if you trust in Jesus. He will take you all the way home. So, number two, rest fully in His grace. He came to save sinners, the disobedient. He forgives sinners. The the sinful tax collector who didn't do anything to fix anything, he simply bowed his head and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He saw his sin in the light of God's law and cried out for mercy. If you're not trusting in Jesus, cry out for mercy today. If you are trusting in Jesus, you still have to rest in his grace every day. Because you're going to get up, default into legalism, and you're going to feel good on your good days and bad on your bad days. Rest in his grace. Set your hope fully in the grace to be brought to you in Christ Jesus, Peter said. He came to save sinners. And then from that standing, number three, live growingly for His glory. If you are trusting in Christ, you have been renewed by His grace and enabled to more and more die unto sin and live unto righteousness.
to more and more die to disobedience and live to obedience. That's what repentance is. It's a turning from and a turning to. Right? And my last point of application is rejoice in His mercy. Worship Him. He has mercy on sinners. He has forgiven you and know you don't deserve it. Jesus came to save sinners. And you are a sinner who has received mercy and been made a child of God. And He will finish that work in you. Rejoice in His mercy. So trust in Christ. Come to Christ and trust in Him and receive this mercy. Christian, live in the waters of mercy. In His grace. Run to His throne of grace. He's not surprised that you sin, but He does want to set you free from it. And if you know Him, you'll have a heart that wants to be set free from it. So know His promises and rest in His grace and live for His glory and all the while rejoice in His mercy. Here's another verse that you know. We know John 3.16. How many know John 3.17? For This is it. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world... There's our word. Jew and Gentile. Think that when you see that there. But that in order that the world might be saved through Him. So look to Him in faith and be saved. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we bow in Your presence and are humbled by Your mercy and Your grace. I pray for those who are sitting under the sound of my voice or over the live stream or over the recording, however and wherever it hits, that those who are not trusting in Christ will be convicted of their sin and disobedience and will turn with grief and hatred for their sin to faith in Christ and find mercy, forgiveness, acceptance, eternal life. And you, our King, that we've been singing about. And for those of us who know you, to be mindful always of your mercy and grace. To know that we live in a gracious status before you. That we have been forgiven for all of our sins. We have been clothed in Christ's righteousness. And by your Spirit, using your word, we are now being transformed into the, more and more into the image of Christ. Help us to live lives of faith. Trusting you, therefore, of repentance. Joyfully obeying you and grieving when we don't. Thank you for the plan of salvation. That from eternity past, you had chosen to save a people. Not just from the Jews, but from the Gentiles also. And that your grace is open. And you say, come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Help us to dwell in your grace. Lord, we rejoice over those being baptized today and just giving their testimony of your work of grace in their lives. We pray for Sophie and Josiah and Caleb and Jaden just to um, that you would strengthen them, that you would protect them. That you would work mightily in them and through them for your glory. Thank you that you are continuing to save souls 
on a daily basis. And that these precious souls have come to faith in You, Lord Jesus, and are professing that faith through the waters of baptism this day. Work in them powerfully to encourage and strengthen them even in their baptism. And work in us as a congregation to encourage and strengthen us in the faith. And maybe even through the act of baptism, which is visibly the gospel, may some come to faith. You, you do what glorifies you. Build us up. Help us to honor and love and glorify you.